everybody and welcome, whether you're here joining us in person or online. We're so glad you could be here. Uh, today, as Cindy mentioned, we are continuing, well, excuse me, starting a new very short series we're calling Finding Rest. And the idea behind this series is here we are coming out of shelter in place for a little over a year, and people are tired. <laughs> it's kind of an irony built in there, but people are really feeling it emotionally, relationally, mentally even physically and spiritually. And so here in this like, you know, last week of June going into July, right before kind of, you know, our society makes the push into the fall and all the rest of it, I thought it'd be good to kind of pause and consider rest. So today we're going to be looking at the example of the prophet Elijah and lessons we can learn from him about rest. And the important thing to understand about Elijah is he was an incredibly revered person of God in the scriptures, just really revered. I mean, to the point of even other prophets, say even say in the chapter right before the one we're in today, a prophet named Obadiah came and showed up and met Elijah for the first time, a prophet who himself was revered, wrote one of the books of the Bible, himself when he met Elijah fell at the ground out of reverence, not worshiping Elijah, but just recognizing how he is a follower of God, just this incredible figure in the life of, of the people of God. And then, of course, there's the really famous account of when Jesus came and he took three of his closest followers up on the mountain for what's known as the transfiguration, where Jesus, the Son of God, just for the briefest of moments there on the mountaintop, kind of pulled back the veil and displayed his true splendor and glory and just all its majesty. And there up with him in that briefest of moments were two figures, Moses and Elijah. So Elijah is known in the scriptures as being this person who really embodies what it means to follow God and just to, just to be about God's, God's work and all of that. And yet what we see in this text is Elijah, this great man of God, becoming despondent, actually getting depressed. I mean, literally just throwing in the towel and, and frankly, at two points, literally asking God to take his life. This humble, faithful servant of God is utterly spent on just every front. And while you obviously want to empathize with what he was facing, it's actually also a little bit of a fresh, a breath of fresh air, I might imagine. Because the point here, of course, being if Elijah, this incredible, faithful servant of God, this revered person in the scriptures, if he could get to a place where he's feeling despondent, you and I can. And this is where God met him, cared for him, nourished him. Which goes to show us that when we are feeling despondent, maybe you're feeling despondent today. Maybe you're feeling depressed. Maybe, maybe you're really feeling it in, in a particular relationship or in the workplace or whatever it might be. Maybe it's harder to get out of bed these days. Maybe it's harder to make decisions. We see here that God wants us to find rest in him and it's available to us. Okay, so we're going to learn from Elijah today and the lessons how God wants us to find rest in him today. Uh, as well. So let's, let's pray and then we'll, then we'll jump in further. Father, thank you so much for this rich text in front of us today that we can learn from, specifically how you want to take care of us when we're really feeling it. And so if there's anyone here today, Father, I just want to pray for those especially feeling despondent, maybe even feeling depressed. Uh, would you especially minister to their hearts? And then for, for those of us who know of others uh, in our lives who are feeling down or maybe just done, uh, would you equip us to help bring your loving light and care into their lives? Uh, we ask for your spirit in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've established that Elijah is feeling really weary up at this point in terms of our, where we pick up in the narrative account in 1 Kings 19. But what's important to understand is Isaiah is feeling exhausted right now for 
doing right things. I mean, it's not like he had done wrong things. He hadn't done bad things. So for instance, we all know times in our lives or times observed in lives of those around us where when we do, you know, not the best of things or even really poorly chosen things and feel the effects of that to the place where it makes us feel despondent, makes us feel depressed. Elijah had been doing wonderful things, actually incredible things. Uh, Chapter 18, right before our our chapter 19, is the famous account of Elijah going toe-to-toe with all the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's this really incredible story where he's up on the mountaintop, and he's he's just going at it with these prophets, really trying to bring God's people back to himself. The scene is all of God's people had rejected him had just turned away from God in all their ways, just to the place where in the history of Israel, they had reached just about as low of a point as they could get. They had rulers King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, which even if you didn't grow up in the church or haven't read the Bible much, you probably know Jezebel is not like the best of, of, of characters. Uh, there were all these fa- false prophets going around who were doing all sorts of despicable things, including blood sacrifices to these false idols and all the rest of it. And Elijah finally gets to the place where he's had enough, okay? He doesn't, he's, he's done with this. And so he, he basically does what you and I, maybe our equivalent would have been, is to like have rented out Levi Stadium, brought everybody there, and said, all right, we're going to throw down. And we're going to see if God is real, if he's going to show up. We're going to hope, we're going to see maybe, hopefully, God's going to show up in a spectacular way to prove once and for all, everybody needs to turn back to him. So what he did is he had uh, sacrifices set up, first for the false prophets, that they would call upon their false gods and that the false gods would would, uh, respond and burn up the sacrifice, but that wasn't happening. So Elijah begins to taunt them. I mean, it really feels like a schoolyard out there. It's like, well, you, well, you guys aren't listening, that kind of thing. But it's really kind of a righteous anger. And actually, he was more talking over the prophets to the people of God observing, trying to set the stage of, man, you got to come back to, to the true God who loves you, cares for you, who you, whom you've turned away from. And at this, the false prophets just start going into extra mode. They're starting to cut themselves. It literally says blood's flowing. They're trying to do whatever they can to try to make this thing work. Nothing happens. So Elijah sets up a sacrifice for himself. And really to make the point as strongly as possible, he has servants come and pour water over it uh, one times, two, uh, three times. Uh, so that it's just, it's just the, the detail recorded there is there's so much water. It's like even filling up the trenches around, surrounding the, the sacrifice. And then Elijah just goes, okay, kind of steps back. He says, God, would you please show up right now? Would you just come and show yourself here and just show yourself just so powerfully that the people would, couldn't help but turn back to you? And God responds, out of heaven comes the fire that, that burns up not only the sacrifice, but licks up all the water and the rest of it. It's as if Levi Stadium is just in shock there. Like, you, did you see this? God is real. You need to follow him. And that's where we pick up in the aftermath in our text today. Verse 46 of chapter 18 says, The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So Jezreel was the capital city back then. And it says, literally, that Elijah was experiencing, quote, the power of the Lord, okay? So he's running in God's power back to the capital city, probably hoping that news is going to get back, word's going to get back of what happened on Mount Carmel, and everybody's going to be like, oh my goodness, we got to start following God there. Uh, we got to start following God now. The only thing is, when he gets there, Jezebel hears about the events from, from her husband, and she swears vengeance, 
swears to kill Elijah. And then it says in verse 3, Elijah hears this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, which is a staggering statement, right? If we consider the context here, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah had literally been experiencing, quote, the power of the Lord as he ran. And he had literally just a few, you know, I don't know, hours before on the mountain experienced God showing up in the most spectacular of ways when his life was probably already in jeopardy through the midst of all those events. But now when when Jezebel threatens his life, now he's afraid. He's spent. He's exhausted. He's he's just done. Now, before we move on and kind of get to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today, I think we need to first pause and ask the question, should Elijah have responded this way? And the answer is no, he probably shouldn't have responded this way. I mean, he had literally been seeing God show up in incredible ways, had a mountaintop experience. And by the way, even if he hadn't had that, as a follower of God, he had understood the promises in the scriptures that God is good and he will always take care of him. He didn't need to respond like that. And yet he moved from running in his own power and in the strength of the Lord to running on his own power and out scared into the wilderness. Uh, Cindy used this example a few weeks back. You guys know the conveyor belts at airports? Uh, I discovered these later in life because I'm one of six kids, and uh, it's a pastor's family, single income. We, we weren't really flying a whole lot as a kid, as a kid is what I'm saying. So I've, I discovered these conveyor belts in airport terminals like a, as a young guy. And I remember the first time I saw one of these conveyor belts, my first thought was, why would anybody take those? You could just like, you know, get an exercise, just continue to get a workout as you're jamming through the terminal and, you know, go about the same speed or whatever. And I just, I never really thought about it until there was a day when I was running behind and I needed to use everything at my disposal to get to a, a flight on time. And so I was like, all right, I'll hop on one of these things. And, you know, I didn't stand there and just kind of sit and just kind of whatever. I was just still walking the same thing. And I was like, oh my goodness, these things fly. Okay. You guys all know this, but for me in that moment, I was like, whoa, okay. And it's just like, just hightailing it down this terminal. It's like Elijah went from running in the power of the Lord to running in his own strength and out into the wilderness ready to quit, just just to be done. And it says that he was afraid. I think it's a really helpful statement. I love that the scriptures calls it out, that he was afraid, because I think we need to label our emotions. We need to learn to label our emotions, because emotions are a gift of God. Okay, when we feel angry, sad, frustrated, they are all opportunities for us to take what we're feeling before the Lord and work it out. What's going on? Why are we feeling this way? Because the question becomes, who's in control? Is it our, our feelings, our emotions, our, our innate drives that are in control? Or, or is it we who are? We can't help what we feel, but, we, but do we live controlled by what we feel? And we need to learn to label the emotion. And some of us are better than that than others. Some of us could be like, you know, the scriptures are saying here, Elijah was afraid. Cindy's a lot better at labeling emotions than I am. I'm like your stereotypical dude. I can't, it's like harder for me to figure out what's actually going on underneath to bring about what's coming out. Is this making sense? Maybe I'm the only one on that. We need to learn to label our emotions and understand what's going on. There are opportunities to take, to take the Lord. That's what Elijah could have done. He could have wrestled with what he was going on, taken it to the Lord, done the soul work to maybe recognize what God was calling him into, but he was afraid, and he ran for his life. Uh, he had had enough. In fact, verse 4 even tells us that he let his servant go. That meant he was laying off his staff. 
He, he was done. He was just, he was just quitting. He, was, he took a day's journey out into the wilderness, sat under a broom bush, which is the image of our series, uh, in the shade, prayed and that he might die. And it says in verse 4, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And so here's what we see. We see Elijah, this incredible servant of God, who could have, ought to have, looked to the Lord in this time, continue to run in his strength, or at least work it out toward that end. But instead, giving up, and yet the Lord showing up to minister to him in that very space. And we see the holistic ministry of the Lord here, his, whole, his multifaceted care and nourishment that he offered Elijah then, he offers us today. We're going to look at four ways God cares for Elijah here in this text and four ways he, he cares for us today. First, we see that God cares for Elijah physically. So verse 5, at once an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Food, drink, sleep. Really, really basic things, but vitally important to us. God is caring for Elijah physically. He cares for you and me physically. Both my, my dad and grandpa uh, were, were pastors, and my dad would often, as I do today, go to him. He'd, he'd go to my grandpa for advice just as he was working things out. And I remember one of the things my grandpa would always say to my dad, especially when things were extra, you know, anxiety-inducing, stressful, taxing, whatever the case might be. My grandpa would always say, get a little bit of food, get a little bit of rest, and things will look better. <laughs> get a little bit of food, get a little bit of rest, and things will look better. Can I talk to the Christians in the room for a second, specifically? It seems to me we can all too easily overly spiritualize all of life's problems and say something to the effect of, oh, you know why you're having trouble, you know why you're feeling down, it's because you have some unconfessed sin in your life. Or you know why you're in that place and things aren't working out? You, what you really need to do is fast. And hey, I don't want to knock those things. Those things are good and appropriate. They serve their place. But sometimes it's far more basic than that. They need food. <laughs> they need sleep. They need drink. These things are vitally important. God cares about your physical condition. God created you and me body, mind, and soul. And we need to take care of our bodies. In, in his letter to the young pastor Timothy, the apostle Paul wrote and at one point said, you need to take care of yourself. You need to have some physical training. He said it's of some value is what he said. I have a buddy who likes to stress that. It's only of little value, so I don't do it a lot. But no, it's of some value. We need to, it would be in modern day terms, Paul saying to Timothy, you need to work out. <laughs> Release those endorphins. Like get some, get 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 your body healthy. We need to take care of ourselves. Are you taking care of yourself physically? Are you eating well? Are you getting enough rest? Are you are you exercising? It's it's of some value. It's something important. Something God cares about. There was a seminar that Cindy and I sat in on years ago, uh, being led by a a church leader of like. Real high capacity. There's this large organization that he, he led and leads. And he was talking about how, uh, what, what lessons he had learned uh, in life, and specifically with a group of kind of go getters, what he would share in terms of like wisdom that he'd pass on. And I'll never forget, at one point he said, Do the best you can and then take a nap. 
That was like his big point, and everybody in the room was like, that's okay? <laughs> it's like, he's like, do the best you can and then take a nap. And he actually even took the point. He's like, I take naps in the middle of the day. And no one's going to question this. I'm not saying take you. It's like, no one's questioning this dude's like capacity and going after it. He's just like, don't, don't kill yourself. Don't burn yourself. Or even worse, Christian friends, don't overly spiritualize it that you have to burn yourself out in order to be pleasing God and spiritually mature. Like, take care of yourself. Or, you know, take care of yourself physically. God cares about that. I mean, it's, it's incredible to me that the angel of the Lord showed up here and fed Elijah. We had food the other night, and you know how they bring freed bread? I would have loved to have that bread. It's probably really good. God cares for Elijah physically. God cares for Elijah, number two, emotionally. Notice the angel of the Lord didn't just feed Elijah. It says twice in verses 5 and 7, the angel of the Lord touched Elijah. It's an interesting detail to include in there, that the angel of the Lord touched Elijah. Any of you familiar with Gary Chapman's Love Languages? You know that, that book, that kind of craze? No one wants to admit it. No one's okay. Uh, these Love Languages, okay, a few of you are going to admit it. Uh, so Love Languages, how we tend to express and receive love in life. Uh, this work, and, and there's like these categories. Turns out many of us fall into one, of, one or two of these categories primarily. It's like there's quality time, there's words of affirmation, acts of service. One of the, the love languages, uh, according to this, is uh, physical touch. And I discovered through this process that that's one of my uh, love languages. And the way I kind of discovered that is like, I love giving my mom hugs. It feels really weird sharing this in front of you guys. But it's like, I love giving my mom hugs. And I, would, I go and give, I give her hugs. And she, she, the last time I gave her a hug, um, which actually was, boy, especially meaningful because it's like after a pandemic, I gave her a hug and she's like, oh, David, my, my, my hugger. And when she said that, I was like, oh. You know, I asked her about it. Um, not like I had the sermon in mind or anything, but I was just like, I asked her about it and she's like, yeah. And I, I've, I've always just ran and went to hug her from a little age. Like, I, that's just been me my whole life, like physical touch. It's like, I just, it's regardless of whether your love language, so to speak, is physical touch or not, there's something happening here for Elijah that he really needed, and that was experiencing the nearness of God. The angel of the Lord came and touched him. That was God saying, hey, I am, I am near to you. You might be feeling it, but you need to... There was uh, a couple of... Uh, recently, there was a really chaotic time in our life. It feels like a lot of things are really chaotic right now, uh, which is with all the responsibilities just already there and life picking back up and kids' schedules and all the rest of it. It was really, really just kind of uh, extra crazy time. And I just, I had to go on a walk. So I just excused myself and went out on a walk. I was walking around maybe for about 30 minutes or so. But there was this one point on the walk where for about, I don't know, 30, 60 seconds tops, I'd been praying, and, you know, it was, I wasn't praying the whole, I don't want to overly spiritualize this. I was just out there praying from time to time. But there was this period of about 30 to 60 seconds where I just felt the nearness of the Lord. Didn't feel like any vision. Didn't hear any audible, thus saith God moment. It just felt like 30 to 60 seconds of God just saying, hey, I, I'm here. Now, could that just have been me, just kind of whatever? Yeah, sure. But, I, man, I, I don't know. I, think, I feel like the Lord is just touching me. And there's no, like, commentary necessarily connected. That's just what I needed. And it, it really uh, nourished me. God cares about your emotional condition. You might be really feeling it emotionally right now. Bogged down, stuck. God is near to you. 
He wants to minister to you in a wordless touch from his spirit. Do you recognize that he's there? Are you able to receive it? So God cares for Elijah physically, emotionally. And then number three, God cares for Elijah psychologically. The angel of the Lord touched and fed Elijah two times, really strengthening him for the journey ahead. So Elijah set out for Mount Horeb, known as the mountain of God. Also, by the way, known as Mount Sinai, which is a little interesting fact here to, to point out. The place where God showed up to Moses. Hold that thought. We'll consider that more later. Verse 9 says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah to lecture him, to put him in his place, to say, Elijah, here's what you need to do. Here's what's what's going wrong. The word of the Lord came to him and asked this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, "I, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The word of the Lord came to Elijah with a question. What are you doing here? That's him saying, what's going on, Elijah? Tell me about it. Which, think of this. I mean, this really struck me in my study this week. Think of this. God knows the end from the beginning. He's not surprised by anything. He already knew how Elijah was feeling. And probably, well, not probably, could have answered better for Elijah. And yet, God asks and then listens to Elijah. How are you doing? Tell me about it. And Elijah goes off on a little bit of a rant, which come, we'll come back to, but God, God just listens. God cares for Elijah. God, God cares for us psychologically. Sometimes we just need to be able to process things. Have you ever experienced, whether in your marriage or a close relationship with a roommate or whatever it might be, when you're going through something hard and you finally are able to just kind of process some, something out loud, either with that person directly or with someone else, hopefully it's in a healthy way, you're not just venting and you're spewing whatever, but you know, you're just able to process it and then afterwards you're like, oh man, even without a solution, even being considered, let alone achieved, things are actually a little bit better already. Now, I'm not trying to say that's the end-all, be-all thing, but what I'm saying is, I think we've all experienced probably that effect of just being processing, there's a ministry there. I have a friend who, uh, he's just such a servant-hearted guy. He just says yes to everything. He just he wants to help people, constantly trying to please and help people, he's constantly saying yes. Problem is, and he's discovered this about himself, is he does it a little bit too much, sometimes to his detriment, such that like, you know, he's doing too many things and all of a sudden like resentment is starting to build and frustration because people either aren't noticing what he's doing or taking it for granted or and all the rest of it and it's just like bubbling 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 and what he told me recently is that so- sometimes what he's found is when he talks to his wife whom he's usually working this house the most with right is sometimes with his wife he'll say hey i just need to like release some things right now i'm not trying to take aim at you i'm not trying to like you know, take some, fire some shots here, but I'm just feeling really frustrated because of this, this, and this, and I just need you to know this, this, and this is happening inside me. And he said, oftentimes, at least especially right now, because life is chaotic for them too, she'll come back with, hey, I hear you. I don't necessarily have a, like, ability to kind of help with that right now. It's not because I don't want to. It's just that I'm taxed and et cetera, you know, et cetera. But I hear you and all. And he said, man, that's, that right there is already really helpful for me. We need to be able to process things. And you know what the best way to do that, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, is to go to him in prayer. 
prayer is first and foremost communicating with God. It's not just listing, rattling off you know, a list of things that we need him to do for us or protect us from or pro- provide or whatever it might be. Hey, he wants you to bring those things. But prayer is first and foremost talking with him, which means when you're feeling something at the gut level. Actually, this is reminding me of uh, Resikita's message a little ago, if you guys were here for that, if you, if you didn't. If you weren't, you should go online and listen to it. It's really, really helpful talking about the cultivating the inner, inner self. But we need to take our feelings to the Lord and just like hold them before him. Like, God, I'm feeling this. Or at least for me, I think I'm feeling this. And just, just observe them. And like, God, what do you want me to do with this feeling? Certainly, I know what you, what you don't want me to do. And forgive me for when I do it that way. And how do you? We can go to the Lord in prayer, process. God cares about you psychologically. And he will meet you there. This is also important to say that this is what other followers of Jesus can offer you as well. And we need to be able to offer a safe, loving ear to help people process and work things through. Uh, professional Christian counseling is also wonderful when, when words are really hard and you, or you need some extra tools or whatever the case may be to help you deal with whatever's going on. God cares for you physically, emotionally, psychologically. And number four, God cares for Elijah and for us spiritually course. It's worth noting that it specifically says Elijah took 40 days and nights to reach Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. What Bible commentaries tell us is if you look at the distance of where he was under that broom tree, just a day's journey outside of of where the capital city and then where Mount Horeb, it wouldn't have taken him 40 days and 40 nights. He could have gotten there in a quick, quick shot. And yet this text is telling us it took him that long, which is significant because you probably know you know, the, the people of God in the wilderness, they spent a lot of time. Yeah, they spent 40 years in this same wilderness, running around, trying to figure out things, following God. And then Jesus spent some time out in the wilderness himself before his life and ministry, being tempted for how long? 40 days, 40 nights. And then when Elijah got to the mount, we're told in our translation in the English, that he went into a cave. It's actually a, a hard, it's the, the, the word actually doesn't translate cleanly as cave. And what most commentators say is actually it could very well be the same word as a cleft in the rock. And the reason why I'm sharing that is when Moses was here, a little over a thousand years before Elijah, this is the same perhaps spot on the same mountain we do know where God showed up to Moses when he was in a cleft of the rock to display his glory, to let him know who he was. So there's, there's something spiritual going on here. 40 days, 40 nights, this cleft in the rock, God getting ready to show himself, however you slice it. After hearing process, uh, Elijah process, God asks him that question. Then he says, hey, I'm going to show up to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you, Elijah. I'm going to pass by. And so there's a great and powerful wind and Elijah thought, maybe, God, sure, certainly God is in the wind, but no, the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then there was this great earthquake, and Elijah figured, well, maybe God's, well, excuse me, certainly God's in the earthquake, but no, he was in the earthquake. And then there was that, there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then finally, there was a gentle whisper, our translation says, or the old King James says, a, a, a still, quiet voice. And Elijah wraps himself up and goes on out to talk to him. I think this is especially interesting to consider given the context. Again, something else. This is a famous story I've thought about a lot. I've never realized it in this context. But think about what God was doing here given the events that had just occurred. 
Elijah had just experienced God on, the mount, on another mountain called Mount Carmel where God showed up in spectacular ways. Fire being one of those. Just incredible ways. And so here God shows up again. He's, I'm going to display myself. And one of those being fire, but also earthquake and wind, showing spectacular ways, but deliberately doing it in such a way of saying, but that's not how I'm showing up to you. Showing up instead in the quiet, still voice. God wants to take care of us spiritually. And often what he's showing here is, yeah, I can show up in the big. I can show up in the spectacular. But often what I'm going to choose to do, what I want to do, is show up to you in the still quiet voice. Are you listening, Elijah? Friends, are, are, are you listening? W will you receive that still quiet voice? I've been around long enough and heard enough stories from people who are incredibly trustworthy in terms of sources, but also just in terms of the details and events that I, I know surrounding it, just to have heard plenty of times of when God shows up in the great and spectacular. I'm talking like vision-type moments, miracles I could share from, you know, just incredible, like, yeah, Levi, crazy, you know, stadium-type spectacular things at least in people's personal lives, that, that exists. Stories where it's like you hear the details, and it's like, man, that can't be coincidence. It makes your hair kind of go on end. God does work in those ways, but what God especially does time and time again, which is, by the way, just as miraculous, is show up in a still, quiet voice to speak to you and me. But are we listening? Jesus told a story, a parable about hell. Okay, so it's just a story. But he, he told a story about a rich man who, who lived a wicked life, went to hell, and was there in hell. And then, and then the beggar at his gates when he was alive also passed away and went to heaven and was, was brought next to uh, Father Abraham. And, and how the story goes, Jesus tells, is this man in hell just kind of cries out to Abraham saying, Father Abraham, send that servant down here to give me a little bit of water because I'm in torment down here. And Abraham says, that can't happen. I mean, there's just too much, there's, there's, a, there's a divide between us. There's a chasm that we can't cross. Okay, well then send him, Abraham, send him to my family. I have four brothers who are still alive so that, they, that he can tell them about God's love, that they will hear it, they will receive it, and not join me here. They'll, they'll go, go with you guys. And Abraham responds, he's like, that's not how it works. He's like, they have and this is, of course, Jesus speaking through the parable at this point. They have the scriptures. Moses and the prophets, they have the scriptures that tell of God's love. And if they don't listen to that, they won't be convinced even if the dead raised life to tell them. Which is an incredible statement and perspective from Jesus. What Jesus is saying is the spectacular doesn't necessarily do more than what we already have. We have God's life-giving word that we can go to. Jesus is literally saying that this is as spectacular, if not more spectacular. Jesus, son of God, who himself raised, rose again to life, says this is just as spectacular. And you know what it does? Even as it's a gentle, quiet voice, we have to pick it up, we have to read it, we have to digest it. Even as it's a quiet, gentle voice, it is screaming, it is shouting the love of God for you and for me. But are we going to it? God, God cares for us spiritually. The other thing that just hit me, man, I love when you come to a text that you've always read and you're just like, God opens it up in new ways. The other thing that hit me is the fact that the angel here is specifically 
described as the angel of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of angels in the scriptures that show up, okay? A lot of angels show up and say all sorts of things. But when everyday angels, I'll say, I mean, that's kind of a oxymoron, but when angels, just generically speaking, show up, they're constantly saying, I've got a message from God for you. Here's what God is saying to you. Here's that message. But whenever the angel of the Lord shows up in the few places that the angel of the Lord specifically shows up, he says, here's what I have to say. He says it from God's, he's God. And what all commentators essentially understand this to mean is this is the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning this was Jesus there ministering to Elijah. This was the Son of God feeding him, touching him. The same Son of God who we would see, we can open it up today, the stories of him touching the blind their eyes and letting, helping them see. Touching the mute and helping them speak. The same Jesus showing up to Elijah. Touching him. This is, this is God showing up to minister through Jesus, which, by the way, was even greater ways than what we see here in this text. Because do you want to know what the fire, the earthquake, and the wind represent in the Old Testament scriptures? You can do a little study if you want to. Uh, you can, later, if you want to, you can look at Psalm 18 specifically because it like rattles off all three of these and talks about them. They all represent judgment in the scriptures. When you see the fire, when you see the earthquake, when you see the wind, they, they represent judgment. And yet God says, hey, I could come in this way, but I'm going to come in a gentle voice. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. On the cross, there was an earthquake. And Jesus withstood fire and wind to save Elijah, to save you and me if we would receive him. By the way, Elijah needed saving, right? Here's the spectacular, incredibly revered servant of God who turned his back on God, right? Not in a way where he was off worshiping these little idols or doing it, but he himself in his own way turned his back on God, which is really refreshing, friends, because you and I are probably going to do it, not probably, are going to do that more than Elijah, and yet, how did God show up to him? He said, I could come in this way. And by the way, this angel of the Lord, this same Jesus, he took that so I could come in a gentle whisper, a loving whisper. And so if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, you know what it says elsewhere in the scriptures? It says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever will let me in, I will come in. And I'll eat with them. There it is again, food. But I will come in. I will have a relationship with you. It doesn't say he stands outside of the door and is a hurricane <laughs> or is like, like fire on that door, which he, which he could, right? Could with me. He's out there just tap. Would you, do you hear my tap, tap, tap? Do you, are you listening for it? Because I'm tapping. Will you let me in? So if you're here today, you've never received Jesus. You can receive Jesus today. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in a few moments. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, are you listening for him? He's there. He's there holistically wanting to give you nourishment in ways that you and I don't even often realize we need. But are you open for, to it? Do you have a kind of the posture of like, I will receive? One more thing before we close. You know what Elijah's problem was really ultimately at the end of the day? You know his underlying issue of why he was so despondent and depressed and that sort of thing? It's because he had put God in a box. Did you pick up on that when he was talking here? 
he said, he repeats it, right? So he said in verses 10 and 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. That's Elijah saying, I have done it all for you, God. We did the Levi Stadium thing. You showed up. I did my part. Why aren't people turning back to you? Why aren't the rulers no longer acting as wicked as they are? Why aren't people turning back? Elijah had put God in a box. Elijah had equated God with his plan, with his own plan. And when it didn't work out according to Elijah's plan, he missed out. And what what God is saying in this, you know, spectacular events of like the fire and the earthquake and the wind and then the still gentle voice, he's saying, I can't be tamed. I'm not a God that's just at hand for you. I can't be put in a box. And yet, God just ministered and nourished Elijah. Did Elijah deserve any of that? No. Even if he'd been incredible, which he kind of was, but even whatever. No, he didn't deserve it because he's God. Right? God cared for him in all these ways. And what's more, and we don't have time to just totally unpack this, God goes further to say, and I'm sending you back out, Elijah. At the end, he says, I got more for you to do. Meaning, he gave Elijah some incredible, eternal purpose for his life. That's grace. And then he gave Elijah support. I want you to appoint this person, this person. Here's a companion I'm going to bring alongside you who's going to help you kind of do this thing. You just, he gave him support, and then finally he gave him encouragement. Remember, Elijah said, hey, I'm the only one left. And God's like, Mm-mm. I've reserved for myself 7,000. You think you got it all figured out? No, I've still got 7,000. Did God need to tell Elijah that? Did he need to pull back the veil and say, Elijah, you need to get with the program here? No. But why did God do that? Because of his good pleasure and grace to say, hey, Elijah, I want to encourage you here. Elijah didn't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it. But God, through Jesus, wants to minister us in the same way, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. We've got to turn to him. We've got to be listening to him. Let's do that even now as we go to the Lord in communion. Let's pray. Father, communion really takes on a more powerful uh, thought today as we remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, as we eat and drink. I mean, here we are talking about how you care for us physically, spiritually, and, and here we are. You, you've given us a sacrament to combine these two. And Lord, the theme of all of this is your grace, your mercy, your love through Jesus. Thank you so much for coming to this world to live among us, to touch us, to speak to us, to minister us, to nourish us, and ultimately to die for us, to give us life. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who's not yet received you, would, would today be the day? As you stand there and tap on the, on the door to their, their hearts, would this be the day that they, they open it to you and receive eternal life? Thank you for who you are and how you've called us together as a church, a community of your followers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.